Get rid of your credit card debt, get a lower monthly payment, and skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to save thousands with SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save right now at SaveWithConrad.com. How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business here with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by the Ad-Free Shows and the Podcast Heat Networks. I, of course, am John Alba. We've got a very special episode today with a very special guest to be revealed in just a little bit. But before we bring him in, I got to bring in the man of the hour, my co-host here on Strictly Business, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Eric, on location, coming to us from Florida. How are you, man? I am doing well, just uh, in Clearwater, Florida. I'm here on, Mrs. B and I are here to uh, watch our grandson Waylon for a few days while our son and daughter-in-law are out of town at a wedding. So kind of digging it, you know, doing the whole grandpa thing. But I, I have to tell you, I'm going to warn everybody right off the bat. I'm freaking crabby tonight, like, like really crabby. And part of it is because I never do these episodes in the evening. I always do them early in the day because that's when I'm at my most effervescent. My personality is light and bubbly and positive. But after about four or five o'clock, <clears throat> the dark side starts coming out. So I just hope you're ready and I hope our audience is ready. Well, that is a warning for sure, <laughs> especially for me as well but i i do want to start off i know it's a little bit of a somber note we lost a legend this week Sheiky baby the iron Sheik, passed away at 81 years old a larger than life figure in the world of pro wrestling i'm not sure how much interaction you had with him over the years but i'd love to hear your thoughts on the passing of wwe hall of famer the iron Sheik. well first let me say that you know for the iron Sheik to have lived such an amazing life experienced amazing things. I mean, he's a walking, talking, walking, talking book of history, not only in wrestling, but if you think about where he came from and how he got to the United States and what he became, what he became in, in, a, in a period of time when Iran was, you know, kind of universally looked upon as the, the ultimate enemy in this country, Sheik was able to become an American hero in a way an American icon for sure, if not an American hero. And I think that's amazing in and of itself. But interestingly enough, John, um, when I got here to Tampa uh, Friday, you know, spent the weekend, you know, connecting with my, my, my kids and our grandson, obviously. But Sunday night, uh, Garrett and I stayed up late after everybody went to bed and we watched the A&E A, uh, A &E biography series. And they had a biography series on The Sheik. And at the when it was over, I I looked at Garrett and said, "Man, I next time I cross paths with this guy, I'm I'm gonna offer to take him out to dinner or you know buy him a beer or whatever." And I just want to sit and spend some time with him because to answer your question, I never really we crossed paths, and he may have been in WCW for a minute or two while I was there, but never really had a chance to other than to say hello and introduce myself, 
get to know him. And that's my loss. Definitely my loss. An amazing, you know, and I'm looking at some of the responses I see on social media from people that really knew the Sheik and universally well-loved, well-respected. And I, I, I wish I would have gotten to know him when I had the opportunity. I actually got Teddy Long, who I, I stay in touch with Teddy consistently over the years. And Teddy Long reached out to me and told me before it was publicized. And Teddy was tight. They were very good friends. And, I, you know, I feel bad for Teddy. I feel bad, obviously, for the Sheik's family and for the legion of fans that he has around the world. What an amazing career. What an amazing guy. Love him. Hate him. Hopefully you hated him because that's what he was making his money from. Um, Godspeed. Did you and Hogan ever have any conversations about the Iron Sheik? Because Hogan's so intertwined to the Iron Sheik's rise to fame. And then eventually he was so important to helping elevate Hulk Hogan to the level that he became. No, I mean, yes and no. I mean, a lot of the conversations that we would have, and it would usually be in a group, you know, we never sat down and cracked a beer and talked about the Iron Sheik, you know, I don't want to suggest that. But, you know, in a group and kind of swapping stories and telling stories, there were always Sheik stories there. And, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I had the privilege of having Hacksaw Jim Duggan and his wife to my house for dinner. Uh, they were there as part of a celebrity golfing event that I was involved in in Cody, Wyoming. And Hacksaw's wife flew in and just eagerly participated and kind of melted right into the crowd and in, in the, in, in the locals. But I was also at the same time, Conrad and I were hosting a radio show, a local radio show with Cody. We wanted to give that a try for a couple months and see how that worked. And since Hacksaw was, you know, in Cody at the time, I invited him onto the show because Hacksaw Jim Duggan is one of the best storytellers I've ever been around. Absolutely. He is, he's got so many great stories and he's so entertaining. He's such a fantastic storyteller. And I hadn't heard, you know, firsthand, you know, I'd heard about the incident when Hacksaw and she got busted. <laughs> I'd probably heard it a million times. Right. But I never heard it directly from Hacksaw. And when Hacksaw Jim Duggan tells that story, it's an entirely different story. You know, it's a difference between reading the premise of a movie in like three paragraphs and sitting down and watching a two and a half hour, you know, Academy Award winner. It was such a blast. And it just, you know, it just made me realize, you know, you cross paths with people, but you never really get to know them. Yeah. And occasionally there are people that you cross paths with in your life and you really wish you'd have gotten to know him. And Sheik is one of those people. A legend uh, in every respect in the industry. I thought everything you said there was just great. So we send our condolences to the friends and family of the Iron Sheik. And uh, certainly not someone who will be forgotten anytime soon in wrestling lore. Uh, now, before we do bring in our guest, Eric, I know there were a few things in the business of the business and maybe even a little bit outside the business that you'd like to discuss. One thing outside the business, I'll throw at you right away, because it's something we've talked about a little bit here on Strictly Business, was Live Golf and the Saudis and that CW television deal that they had and 
they were once in conversations with WWE, the PIF, to purchase them. Well, we saw, we found out this week that the Saudis and Liv essentially formed one giant super tour with the PGA and DP tour to create this gigantic entity, a merger, if you will, uh, the likes of which we've really never seen in American professional sports. The TV rights side of things is still to be determined. The TV partners of the PGA were completely unaware of this happening. And now uh, the Saudis will have a major inway on American television through the PGA Tour. A colossal move in the sports and sports media landscape. Any thoughts on that? Um, I don't know if I have as many thoughts as I have questions. Like... Who does who does PGA have their TV deal with? And I'm I'm, I'm saying this because I don't follow the PGA nor the sports and you know television business. But not to challenge you, but I'm just curious. Do you happen to know who? Yeah, I mean they, they have partnerships with CBS, with ESPN, all the major networks for airing all their. Okay. Significant so, so so specifically, do we know when any of those agreements are coming due? I think a lot of them were relatively recently refreshed and they have $800 million plus invested in them. It's going to be interesting to see how their respective TV partnerships react to this news because it is still, it's still a little bit of a hot item, right? I mean, Saudi advertisers, public opinion, eh, it's a little volatile, you know, and it, it, it's ironic because if you look at the Saudi investment portfolio, Warren Buffett or Saudi has Warren Buffett or Warren Buffett has Saudi stock, whichever, they're in business together, right? A lot of major corporations are funded in, in not in large part, but in small parts by the Saudi government. And it just kind of flies under the radar. But once it becomes something that's on the public airwaves in the public domain, so to speak, then things get a little different. It's going to be interesting, especially in light of what we've seen with Target, Bud Light. There seems to be an energy in a broader spectrum of the public than we've seen in the past that are now starting to react and voting with their pocketbooks. It's an interesting time. And I, I'm, I'm not here. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm curious. I'm intellectually curious to see how this is going to play in the mass media mm -hmm. universe. It's pretty wild to think that we've talked about in the past where WWE was kind of a trailblazer with leading the way with the WWE network and over the top and how they laid groundwork for other people to follow suit after that. WWE was one of the first major entities in the U S to publicly go into business with the PIF uh, with their deals back in 2018. I think now we're not that far off. I, I put this out on Twitter the other day. I don't think we're that far off, Eric, from a major American sports franchise being partially, if not majority owned by the Saudis. I think that is now on the road to becoming normalized where we'll see more of this just due to the cash flow 
normalized in our sports and entertainment culture. Well, I mean, how much does money, money normalizes everything, right? Money normalizes some of the corrupt political activity that we're seeing being revealed every four and a half or five minutes. Money has always talked and money always will talk. But because money always talks, I will go back to what we've seen happen to Anheuser-Busch, what we've seen happen to Target. Are, is any established mainstream media, and when I say mainstream, I'm talking about network and cable, because cable's been around for a minute, so I consider it to be pretty mainstream. Are they going to be willing to risk their fragile, fragile advertising base because so much streaming dollars are going or so, so many advertising dollars are going to streaming are your traditional um, sports outlets going to be willing to risk what we've seen happen in, in a couple of other situations recently are they going to be re willing to risk the public backlash and I, I don't think it's going to be all or nothing but i think there will be some advertisers that for whatever reason, are going to be uncomfortable. And many of them won't because it, it always comes down to dollars, right? If the money talks, everybody, if the, if, if the money's on stage playing the music, everybody in the world, in the corporate world will dance. That's just how it works. Politics, mm -hmm. television, every other form of entertainment. It's pretty wild. WWE just held that premium live event in Saudi Arabia. Nobody even bats an eye. Whereas five years ago, it was the biggest controversy in the world. Well, there's I a lot of th there's a lot of things going on that are like that, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that we accept now that we wouldn't have accepted two years ago or three years ago. It's happening across our culture. It's not just happening in wrestling or in golf. It's it's a lot of things have become very normalized in a very short period of time. And by the way, I don't think they're normalized. I just think they're being forced. And I think when you're forcing an issue, the more money you have behind you, the more likely it is you're going to be successful with it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's just something to keep an eye on because who knows if that will permeate the wrestling space even more. Yeah, I think it's going to permeate a lot of different spaces in sports and entertainment culture here in the United States, maybe movies, maybe television. It's such a fascinating trend that I think it's just going to pick up even more and more momentum over the course of the next. Well, and, and, and when you think about it, this isn't new, right? Look right. at what's going on in China. Mm -hmm. I mean, the normalization of relationships with China started. I remember, I remember watching it because I've always been very much involved in current events and, as a result, by default, politics. But I remember when Richard Nixon made his historic trip to China. That was the beginning of normalizing a relationship. And look where we are now. All of our pharmaceuticals, many of our, not all, but many of our pharmaceuticals, a lot of the, the components for technology that we rely upon for national defense, for uh, food. You know, you look at how much food is imported from from China and 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 um, pharmaceuticals that we are absolutely 100% dependent upon right now with China. That all began with Richard Nixon, you know, taking an historic flight and shaking some hands in China. So the evolution of this, and I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, by the way. I'm not taking a position on that. I, I kind of deep down inside, I think the more we expose our respective cultures to each other, the less threatening it becomes. Because I think all, I'm going to go on a, a soapbox. 
I think all bias and racism, not all, most comes from a place of ignorance. If you don't understand something, a culture, a religion, whatever, the more likely you are to be defensive to it mm -hmm. and, and opposed to it and, and want to get away from it. But it's one of the things that I think traveling the world is such a, you know, for, for young people, especially, you know, the more you can immerse yourself in different cultures and ways of life, the more you realize there's really not that much difference between people. Right. And I think in a way, and I'm not here to put WWE over, but because I'm surely it was, I'm a hundred percent positive when I say it was an economic decision, it wasn't a cultural decision. But it's interesting how WWE has been on the forefront of so many things, whether it be breaking the territory system and going national, becoming one of the most successful forms of entertainment on cable television. And as cable television evolved, it became pay-per-view. WWF at the time, E, was one of the most successful franchises in the pay-per-view industry. And now you look at new media, the digital world, WWE is one of the leading global franchises in, in the digital space. And here we are now breaking down the live event barriers. And what do we have? WWE, here again, breaking down the barriers, leading the way. And we have something as traditional. I mean, you talk about traditional golf can you be any whiter than golf? <laughs> Can you be any more traditional than golf? Like, even the announcers whisper when the guys are teeing up. Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? How can you get more traditional than American or golf? It's not an American sport, but golf. And here we are. Yeah, I, I, I hope I hope there's music and like, you know, onion fried onion deep deep fried onion rings and corn dogs and all kinds of shit on the sidelines because then I might even go to a golf event and hang out. Yeah, dude, golf events are fun as hell. I I used to cover the Arnold Palmer Invitational back in Bay Hill in Orlando. Everyone gets Arnold Palmer. They're out there on the side. It's beautiful. Sometimes they're spiked Arnold Palmers. It's a good day out there. And I, I'm just so fascinated to see how ingrained the Saudis become in the culture of golf and American golf specifically. Yeah, listen, I've heard some stories uh, about American golf. I almost did. I, I say almost did. We were considering doing a reality show with John Daly. Um. It, it was a. I, I can't remember the concept in enough detail to do a good job explaining it here. But it was a. It was a unique. It was a golf reality show, and we were looking for collegiate golfers to compete against each other. And John Daly was going to be the guy who either moved you along or cut you. It was actually a cool idea, and it was. It was all designed to bring a whole different attitude to golf, right? Because golf is, you know, when you see a golf, you know, when a golfer rises to prominence, typically, and I'm not a golf fan, so you can tell me I'm wrong and I'll just agree with you, but usually they're in their thirties or forties and most of them are in their fifties and sixties and they're, yay, look at that guy. I wanted something that would like get 22 year olds over. Yeah. I was looking at that for that other generation of golf. And with John Daly as our kind of 
executioner, um, that would have been awesome. And I, I spent some time with John Daly. Actually, the first time I met John Daly, he had a motorhome behind the original Hooters. The first Hooters that was ever hooted was here <laughs> in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> and John knew the original owners. I believe that. And his deal was they let him park his motorhome out there for free and he would eat, you know, Hooters at night and hang out and drink a couple of beers. And that explains a lot. That explains a lot. And I, this is the first guy I ever met in person that was, you know, a, a professional golfer. And he was a hoot, like really fun. But he told me some stories. So this very prim and proper, well-manicured, pedicured hair in place, pillars of the community that are out there representing the game of golf until they're away, and until they party privately. And they're, they're as dark as professional wrestling. There needs to be a dark side of golf because it exists. Evan Husney, do you hear me, brother? <laughs> well and there was this whole controversy too because you know the pga jay monahan the head of the pga had taken this moral high ground trying to get his players not to jump at the money for live because i mean oh, he looks like a douchebag oh boy howdy does he boy howdy does he and how do you come back from that i, I watched him on tv last night because it's the business of sports and it mm -hmm. does interest me i don't I, I, if I never see another swing of golf on television for the rest of my life, I will not miss it. However, it is a big business and it's sports and it's media. And I'm, I'm interested in the behind the scenes of it all. And I watched his interview and I went, man, am I so glad I'm not you. I don't care how much money you make right now. You're going to go home and feel like a dick. No matter what you may drive home in a Bentley you may be pulling up in your driveway in your nine-bedroom, 14-bathroom palatial estate on some lake somewhere, mm -hmm. and you're still going to feel like a piece of shit, and there's nothing yeah. anybody's going to be able to do about it. it was, <laughs> it's horrible. It was, it was an interesting situation. Our guest is going to join us in just a couple minutes here, and it's going to be a great episode, but I want to tee up real quick, Eric, before we get into that. Uh, really good week for wrestling ratings as a whole. And, and against some pretty stiff competition, too. The NBA Finals going on right now. Uh, last night, as we taped this, Vanderpump Rules, the biggest reality show in the world, uh, had its finale. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not the biggest reality show in the world. It's the biggest reality show at this moment. No, are I'm talking right now. Are we going to compare Vanderpump? right now, at this moment. At this moment, on, at this moment on cable. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, we're, we're, see how small the world just got? For you, <laughs> okay. we, we've gone the, from the biggest reality show in the world to, well, the biggest reality show at this moment on cable TV. <laughs> Come on now. Well, still, wrestling had a really good week. SmackDown did killer ratings this week. Uh, two and a half million overall, but the third hour did nearly three million, which was for Roman Reigns' coronation ceremony that saw the turn of Jay Uso and them kicking him out officially from the bloodline. AW Dynamite did its highest uh, 18 to 49 rating in some time. Monday Night Raw. How many, how many, how many, how many people watched the, because you, you mentioned the WWE overall mm -hmm. audience of 2.4 million with a 2.9 million uh, last quarter hour. How did AEW do? What was their? Uh, 900, 903,000 with a 0.33 rating in the demographic. 
Yeah. Okay. That was Quite the NCAA NBA finals and Vanderpump rules finale. <laughs> fucking Vanderpump rules. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Number man. one, man. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's n- number one in such a dismal field of players. I, I look. Nine hundred thousand was a little less than they did last last week. I think they did nine fifty five last week. Uh, and and I do agree, considering the the competition, that was a better than expected number. However, this is Denver. The Denver Nuggets are not the New York Knicks, or excuse me, they're not any major team. They're Denver. Who are they playing? I don't even know. I probably know the more Mi- about this than Miami most people. Heat. I don't even know. Who are they playing? The Miami, the Miami Heat. Okay, and Miami Heat came from out of nowhere. They weren't even supposed to be in this thing, and they ended up rallying at the very end. So that's a comeback story, and, that, and that's an East Coast team. Miami's a big market, but it wasn't a winning team all year long. Nobody expected them, probably even themselves, to be there. Um, but NBA Finals viewership is not really down from last year. And last year had the Warriors in it, it it's and the Celtics in it. The numbers there was, are- ele- there was eleven. It had an audience of eleven point five million people. What was this time last year? Last year they averaged just over twelve. Okay, same thing. Give Smart. or take, rounding mm-hmm. error, rounding error. You know, and, and by the way, just an, is a this is a really minuscule side point. Anybody, I don't care if you're a publisher of wrestling news and media. Uh, or if you're a dirt sheet writer, um, and I distinguish between the two, by the way, um, or if you're just a fan, just know that because of the nature of Nielsen, when you get movement of 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, even 50,000 viewers, it's kind of a rounding error. This right. is not exact science. This is kind of a remotely scientific extrapolation. It, they're not real numbers. And little things like weather, local events in big markets, you know, a, a cable outage, a power outage in a major market in a large area, all of those things can affect ratings so dramatically. Sure that you got to be a little careful about recognizing small incremental gains or losses as anything other than a blip on the radar. It's good clickbait. It's good for wrestling people, you know, wrestling publishers and, you know, news sites and things like that. WWE is up this week, you know, or WWE is down this week or AEW is up or AEW is down. Keep in mind, these are minor fluctuations that has more to do with the weather than it does anything else. Yeah, it was like the apocalypse over here in the Northeast the past couple of days with the air quality from the Canadian wildfires. It was just absolutely insane. That was dominating. The One country. of the re- Canadians, look, manage your forest, bitches. <laughs> South Park told us to blame Canada, and that's, uh, I guess, what was going on there. Manage your forests. <laughs> it's what you need to do. If you love all this green stuff, then you got to manage it. Otherwise, shit catches on fire. <laughs> uh, real quick, I know you had a note that you wanted to add on the CM Punk collision ticket sales. Uh, the collision has been struggling a little bit out of the gate with these ticket sales. Anything you'd like to uh, add a on? A little bit out of the gate? God, you're, 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 <laughs> I've, okay. you're the opposite me. of me. 
People, here, here's the thing, Eric. I'm going to say this. I hear it all the time on Twitter. I hear it all the time on our YouTube. I try to be fair. Oh, look at these shills. Conrad's an AW shill. John's an AW shill. I, I try to be fair. I try to, for the sake of our argument and the quality of program that we put on every week, I try to be fair. And no, I try you don't to try to be fair. You try to be kind. And there's a difference. Fair is not always kind. Fair sometimes hurts. Because fair, in order to be fair, one has to be honest. And in order to be honest, you have to be analytical. This was a major show, a brand new show, announced on a major network with what everybody thought was this huge star. And I'm telling you, like I've told you from day one, this guy is not a star. And here's the really funny part of this that I'm thoroughly freaking enjoying is he said see he CM Punk is setting him has set himself up for just a dramatic failure. He came CM Punk came in with all of this mystique, and he did a good job of creating that mystique and maintaining it. And for that, I have respect. But once he got there, Punk didn't deliver, and then he turned into a bitch. And then he turned into something a little darker than just being a bitch and being whiny. And the audience has started to turn against him. The, the, the rabid CM Punk fan base has diminished, diminished substantially. Now, through because of all the Michigas and all the, 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 the drama and the politics backstage and the fights and the biting and the dog and the scratching and the hair pulling and whatever else went on, it just sounds like such a bitch fest to me anyway. But... Because of all that, now we're bringing Punk back. And guess what? Remember when I told you, and I think I told you on this show, if I was Tony Khan, I would not bring Punk to the UK. I would establish the fact that I could sell 70,000 tickets without him. And they sold 65,000 tickets, and then they announced him. And how many additional tickets have they sold? 700? Like a percent? Whatever it is, it's incremental at best and now they're having a hard time selling out these collision shows with punk as a centerpiece <sighs> am i right or am i am i right when i when i came out and said and i took so much heat for this cm punk is the most overrated Potential, I didn't even say potentially. I said he was going to be the biggest financial flop in wrestling history, and I think I'm being proven right every minute of the day. Well, there are still a couple weeks here until collision, but you very well could be proven right once those shows start. And uh, for all we know, the first show is a smashing success, and all of a sudden tickets start flying, or they don't. And I guess we'll find out. Uh, but I do know one thing, Eric, as the summer starts to unfold, is that I want to look real good. I know you want to look good. I know you might be. I always look good, brother. Well, Come I, on. I, I mean, you do, but I know that your appearance might be changing a, a little bit soon. But I know that you can manage it because you and I are both teaming up with our pals over at Manscaped, who we love so much here on Strictly Business. And Father's Day is right around the corner. And I know a lot of you, like me, your last-minute gift givers, you probably haven't even gotten your father anything yet or the man in your life anything yet. Well, don't worry, because Manscaped is coming in to save the day. You and I both know 
that that man in your life needs some serious grooming. So grab your dad the Performance Package 4.0, and he will thank you for helping him tame his beast. It's a win-win situation for both mom and dad. Go to manscaped.com, use code WrestleBiz, that's W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z, for 20% off plus free shipping. Eric Bischoff, I would love to know, how is Manscaped keeping you nice and smooth this summer? Well, I'm not going to go into like graphic detail because <laughs> you and I don't know each other all that well, and I'm not sure I'd be into it even if we did. So I'm going to let that go by. But here's what I'm going to say. I use Manscaped. In fact, when I got here to uh, to Clearwater, Florida, where my son and his wife live, my, and my grandson, Way J, um, the following morning after we got here, Garrett and I were sitting up having a cup of coffee, and Garrett's got a big old goatee and a mohawk, and he said, hey, Dad, do you have any more of that Manscaped product that maybe you could send my way? I said, dude, get your own subscription. You're not taking my shit. But not only is it a great product. Now, you know there's a bet going on where if I lose that bet, which means that CM Punk, the fragile little thing that he is, actually shows up and actually competes um, at collision on June, what is it, 17th, mm-hmm. um, that I would shave my head. And we're going to do it in an ad-free shows event. And we're going to film it. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm going to posit. That means just make you think about position. It's a derivative use of the word. Um, we need to figure out some kind of contest where if you subscribe to Manscaped in order using our promo code RussellBiz and you order the Manscaped product line, we're going to figure out once you prove it, you're going to have to email your subscription and let us know that you actually did it. One random person is going to win something really freaking cool. And I'm just thinking about this. I don't want to overcommit, but we're going to do some fun stuff at ad free shows. And by the way, before we actually shave my head with a razor blade, we're going to be using the manscape product. So this is going to be a manscape commercial from beginning to end where I get my head shaved by some fan. And by the way, part of that promotion is whoever wins by donating the most money to charity, which is St. Jude, um, gets to actually shave my head. and They'll be doing it with a Manscaped product. So there you go. That's how much I believe in the product. I'm going to let them shave. I, John, you get this, right? You get this. You've got a decent head of hair. It's not as good as mine. Or at least not as good, not as, good as mine was, right? But you know what this is like. You know, I'm going to get my head shaved. Shaved. This is kind of like part of my identity. It is. And whose hands would I put my identity into more comfortably than Manscaped? The answer is nobody. For the record, this hair is a winner of the 2018 Harry Awards for Best Hair in Local News from the New England region given by an organization called Get Good Head. But I know that you, <laughs> and that's a shoot, brother. That's a shoot. I love but, that. But I, love that. I know that you feel comfortable with Manscaped because the Lawnmower 4.0 has that advanced skin safe technology that features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents all 
in one. And you might ask, how is this lawnmower 4.0 different from other trimmers? Well, this upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It's a great feature if your father or yourself do a lot of traveling. And I know you certainly do a lot of traveling. I've got it, John, I've got it. Let's hear it. So if any of our listeners go to Manscaped, order using promo code WrestleBiz, we're going to take a picture of me getting my head shaved with Manscaped, a lock of my hair. We're going to put it in a framed 8x10 with the lock of hair autographed by me <laughs> and shipped to you. That's all you got to do. It's free. Not going to cost you a nickel. We'll pay for shipping. All you have to do is order the best grooming and hygiene product that any man can find. You can thank us all later, but before you thank us, you'll be getting an 8 by 10 of me getting my head shaved with a Manscaped razor with a little lock of my hair, and God only knows what that's going to be worth someday. Oh, thousands. 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 Maybe more. You may be able to pay off your mortgage with that. <laughs> you might be able to. You could go 30 to years from now? Yep. When, when you're making your last house payment? <laughs> <laughs> you better go, no, I'm going to sell this on eBay and see what I get for it. <laughs> Come here Absolutely. House, well, we can help you out here at Strictly Business. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code WrestleBiz. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. So this year, you can show your original home some love in the first place with our friends over at Manscaped. And we thank them for sponsoring us here on Strictly Business. Hey, guys, Tony Schiavone. Need to call a timeout real quick. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling what happened when listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. On the latest edition of Monday Mailbag, Mike Kyoto shares road story of hanging with Taker and BSK. Yeah, we did. We played dominoes. We played Beale Street called Trump. Uh, it's a card game. Uh, gin. You know, we used to play gin card games with them. Uh, dominoes. I used to go back in the back of the bus for BSK, roll up a couple fatties for him. <laughs> and they'd let me smoke one or two and they'd say, okay, Kyle, you gotta go back up. The Podfather sat down with ad-free shows members for a live edition of Ask Conrad, talking about the one thing that brings us all together. Uh, a guy who owns a trucking company in Vermont? How in the hell is he friends with a guy who does mortgages in Alabama? Wrestling brought us together. So uh, when, when we created this concept of ad-free shows, I had no idea that a pandemic was right around the corner, but it did become like this weird support group. Not like in a bad way, not in a tragic or trauma way, just in a, hey, it's a bunch of friends who can get together and bounce ideas and share their life with each other. That's just a small taste of what we've got waiting for you with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why Ad Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. Fight Plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment, and they're now offering a free seven-day trial at TryFight.com. Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over a 1,000 hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com. T R Y F I T E.com. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Well, Eric, we love to live to enlighten here on Strictly Business, and we're going to have a really cool conversation to cap off this edition of the podcast. We've got Dan Van Oust here from beltsbydan.com and leatherbydan.com. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining us here on Strictly Business. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can see the leather behind Dan. This is a professional belt maker uh, in his own right, and he's been featured by just about every single major company there is. So why don't you tell uh, everyone out there just a little bit about your business and how you got into making belts? Yeah, it's a pretty unusual hobby or turns into a business. So just like anything, you, you start off as a fan and the replica belts, which is how most of the collectors get started. And back then, we were really pretty much a small group on the old Yahoo groups. This was way before Facebook and social media took over. And we would buy and trade belts, and I would get these replica belts. And they never come in the mail, as I described. There's always something wrong with it. The paint is wrong. The straps are messed up. It's missing a snap. So after a while, I would buy belts cheap. I try to do some repairs to them, and then I would sell them off to make a few extra bucks and then reinvest that money get more belts, fix more belts, sell more belts. And eventually got to the point where some people started asking me if I could fix up real belts. And it was like, I never really had a real belt before. And then I got started with that. And it all snowballed from there. I, I got a reputation as somebody who can find belts you need, somebody who can make belts you need, and somebody who could fix anything. And it's like, well, I, I really haven't made a belt yet. Why are you telling me? And people said, well, you have enough knowledge just try it. And it's like, well, okay. And I did. And, you know, I'm, you know, the first few belts I made were pretty bad, had a lot of mistakes, but it's a very steep learning curve to try to learn metal work, plating, um, all of the stuff that goes into this. Like the YouTube wasn't as great of a resource back then. It was kind of like being a magician where you needed somebody who was already established to mentor you and kind of give you the, the tips and tricks. Otherwise, you're going to be spending thousands of dollars through trial and error trying to figure out how the stuff on TV is actually made. All right, so Dan, let me jump in here. Let me, let, me, let me jump in here. Yep. I want to know, like, what was the first belt you wanted to buy? Like, the first time you went, I can want to buy a belt because, like, belts are cool. Whose belt did you buy? The first belt I wanted to buy, my first live pay-per-view was SummerSlam 91 in Madison Square Garden. And I was a huge Bret Hart fan. And when Bret won the IC title, like that always stuck with me. That was that was like the belt that really cemented my fandom, not only in wrestling, but it, as in belts. So fast forward, the first real handmade belt I purchased was the classic WWF Intercontinental belt made by Reggie Parks. And where did it go from there? It's like, okay, I want to know who, who your first girlfriend was, but how did that end and who was the second girlfriend? Well, after that, 
I became um, kind of associated with a belt maker named Joe Marshall at the time. He had one of his assistants on the Yahoo group, and I started chatting that person up and became friendly. And he offered me some of the belts that uh, Jamar was making at the time. So I started purchasing some random belts from Jamar, not necessarily belts that I wanted, but just because they were rare and I was getting good prices on them. And I was thinking business wise, like I could I could sell them and flip. So them. so what, so give me a range here. So when you could buy these belts at a good price, what was a good price back then? Back then for a real belt, we were paying like six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars a belt. And we were turning around and flipping them for twelve hundred, wow. thinking, you know, you know, four hundred dollars, you know, 20 years ago was a pretty good deal. Coke, dollar, Coke dealers don't do that. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, you don't, get to still, double your, you don't get to double your money on one transaction. No, no, you don't. Not unless you're selling ring use belts. And, you know, that ship has long sailed. But, yeah. You know, there were there was a few years there where, you know, the ring use belts flooded and I was one of the people lucky enough to uh, have a hand in moving a bunch of them. And there were there was some good money to be made there. Eric, were you involved with the commissioning of new belts for WCW? And no. if so, what did you look for? No, you weren't. No. And that's one of the reasons I was so excited when you mentioned, John, that you were able to you know connect us with with Dan, because admittedly. It's like saying, I just wasn't interested in Apple at the time. You know, nobody wants to admit that because it makes you sound like a real moron. But even in my case, I just didn't see a market for the belts. I didn't see any value in them other than as we needed for television and, and live events and so forth. I never thought there'd be this hidden value in belts. I never saw the nostalgia factor. I wish they would have because I could have like ripped off dozens of them. Dan, you and I, you and I could be splitting a condo on the beach somewhere in Maui right. six months out of the year. It's like you take first six months, I'll take the next six months, right? Yeah. But no, I never saw, I never saw that market coming, and and good for you, Dan, that you did. That's having your ear to the ground, man. That's that's commendable. Yeah, I was I was lucky enough to be surrounded by people who were kind of in on the ground floor at the time. So like back in the day. There, before Facebook, before all the internet, most of us fans would get together at uh, wrestling conventions. So that, you know, there was a few times a year where you would see these people and then you might email them the rest of the year. But th that's how really how this started. You would go to these wrestling conventions and a lot of the retired wrestlers would have belts at their table and offer, you know, $5, take a picture with the belt or, you know, take a picture with me of the belt. And it got to the point where you'd say, hey, you know, I would like to purchase that. Would you ever consider selling it? And some of the wrestlers would give you crazy looks and like just blow you off thinking you're, you know, you're just a kid or a fan. And then you get other wrestlers who would throw you ridiculous amounts just to see it, you know, how much of a mark you are and how much they can get out of you. And then every once in a while, you should you run a wrestling company. If you think selling belts is bad, you should run a wrestling company. Yeah. <laughs> right. And their marks are still out there. and People are still paying them ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah. It's never going to stop. Right. And, you know, you, every once in a while you hit that one wrestler who was just honest or unfortunately for them, they were down on their luck and they just needed money for something. And they'd say, yeah, you know, you can you can have it for like two thousand or five thousand. And, you know, you're at a convention, not home, but you, you like you tell them, yeah, I'll be I'll be right back. And you, you go and you find the nearest ATM and you cash out and you go get yourself a new toy.
So, so you know, Dan, after those first few conventions, over, it always I'm, became uh, a standard to carry at least like five grand in cash on you because you never knew who was selling what. Dan, I'm looking over your shoulder and I see that white, or excuse me, that blue uh, WWE belt over your left shoulder. Yeah. Um, so if I called you and said, oh man, I love the belt. Could you make that belt for me? Do you not have a copyright trademark challenge? That's probably one of the biggest issues for people in the belt community is regarding the copyrights and the trademarks. So the WWE belt you're referring to behind me was actually uh, one of their replicas that I re-leathered and sent to WWE. Uh, many years back, they asked for examples of portfolios of my work. So I sent them a bunch of belts to inspect and they sent them back. And that was one of the modifications I suggested they make on it, you know, the, the color behind the logo back when it was just all, all black. But the, the copyrights and the trademarks are pretty much how you can survive, but you have to defend yourself. And it's not easy when the majority of the people that are stealing your copyrights and uh, trademarks are located in Pakistan. And unfortunately, no, the way I, I just want to be clear because I'm a little confused. My question is, if I want you to make me a replica, you to make me a replica WWE belt or WCW belt, let's go with a big original big gold belt, WCW belt that has NWO on it with my name, because yep. I want to bring I want to bring it to autograph signings and things like that. If I ask you to do that, given that that belt is now, I'm guessing, a copyright or a trademark piece of property with WWE, could you indeed make me that belt? For money. Not that I want it. I'm just asking the question. I'm trying to get an if, understanding. If I wanted to, I could. It would be illegal, but <laughs> that's that's the way things operate. Like sometimes there are people who do favors for their friends. Is it legal? No, but it's one of those things where you trust somebody and you say, you know, I'm doing you a favor. Don't, you know, don't throw it out all over the internet or don't try selling it. Um, you know, myself, I do own copyrights on the majority of my designs, but many of the belts behind me are mostly copyrighted designs. And I had to purchase them legally through the person who owns a copyright or somebody who is authorized to sell copies of them. So in the case of WCW, so, uh, the Joe no, Marshall. I, I, don't, I, I don't really want a belt, a belt. And you just answered the question very, very yeah. clearly. And, and I appreciate that. Um, my next question is how much your business comes I would imagine, I don't know anything about your business, but just knowing how popular wrestling is and how popular promotional items are, how much business do you generate from corporations or sponsors or people that just want to have what represents a world heavyweight championship design, but with their company brands on it and their logos on it? Right. I would say about 40% of my business are corporations that have nothing to do with wrestling or MMA. Like you said, a lot of uh, companies are using them as awards or incentives, especially for sales. So many of the belts that I'm making for these corporations feature uh, removable nameplates, or what they'll do is they'll pass them around to the person who sells the most items this month, and they'll have another nameplate made or nameplate made every year. So sure. it's mostly corporate awards, a lot of um, a lot of like uh, golf clubs, they give it to their end of the year uh, country champion. 
And then I've been getting like a weird influx of people wanting like uh, wedding belts. They, you know, huh. I, I don't ask me about it. It just seems to be a thing. That's fun. So I, I've done I've done a bunch of wedding belts, and I actually have one that was sent back to me, where they specifically left plates on it blank for when they had children. Oh. I made this for them five years ago. They finally had their first child. They sent oh, it back to me, awesome. so now I'm putting the baby's name on it for them. That's really that cool. is so yeah. awesome. Well, I love to hear that because you know, as, as you're talking, and I'm thinking because you know I'm I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I'm thinking now, you know, every time you know. World Series, WWE sends a WWE championship belt, right? NFL, hockey, all these sports. And that has to like resonate with a lot of corporations. So I would imagine your business has got to be getting strong in that regard. And you've been doing it since day one. So you've got to be kind of like ahead of the pack. Yeah. We, we pretty, I, I'm lucky enough again that I pretty much have to do all my own advertising. But when people see the belts, you know, that's when it starts uh, snowballing. Like I, I've done several belts for the New York Yankees. And then after that, all of the emails I received from various sports teams and people associated with, you know, Major League Baseball and, and football, they they all didn't realize it. Like you said, like championship rings are nice, but when you see belt on somebody that that gets eyes on it. Yeah, and I want to go through your accolades here real quick. We're talking work for New Japan. You designed the IWGP Women's Championship, the AEW Women's Championship, uh, Jade Cargill's Custom TBS belt, the Owen Hart Foundation Cup. You've done work for WWE 2K with their video game championship, as you just said, the Yankees. So you're so well-versed. What do you think it is about what has developed in culture that allows people to become so ingrained in this belt culture? What does having a belt represent for the average person that helps you then in turn monetize. Right. I think belts have outgrown wrestling as a whole. Belts is just an, another way to symbolize that you're the best or you're the champion. And going back to WWE, like when the Detroit Pistons won the NBA championship, they gave all of the players copies of the big gold belt. And during their ring ceremony, they got the ring and they all had a copy of the big gold belt over their shoulder. So going back to what Eric said with the big logo on the WWE belt, I think that's one of the huge branding reasons why their belts feature that logo so prominently on the front. Because every time they give it to a celebrity, every time it's sent to a sports team, it doesn't matter if you follow wrestling or not. You're going to see that logo and that becomes ingrained in you. So the, the idea of belts just being wrestling related is is very small, whereas it, the symbolism of being the best and the champion is what it means. And who doesn't love a belt? Yeah, I <laughs> I mean, you're, not, you're not wrong about that. Uh, let me ask you this. Now that we've seen belts evolve so quickly over time we just saw wwe introduce their new world heavyweight championship as a belt expert in your mind in 2023 what elements comprise a great championship belt i think the most important part is a design that works as visually and what i mean by that is people forget how a belt will look on tv compared to how it'll look in person so for example wwe's new belt that uh, Seth Rollins won when you saw it on TV when you saw it debut there was no lack of paint there wasn't a lot of uh, 
uh, what do you call it? There wasn't a lot of difference between the design and you, you couldn't make out the details. And it was only afterwards when WWE posted up close pictures on their website that you could take appreciation of the different elements that went into it, the different designs. And that's very important that a lot of people don't understand. You have to figure out a way to design a belt where the details can come across on television because that's where it's going to be spending most of its time being seen. So things like paint, things like uh, dual plating where it's both nickel and gold plated and using stones, especially colored stones, because you get the light reflecting off of it and you get much bigger pop. Now, if you look behind me, most of those belts are the same distance away from me, but some of them are more clear to read than others. And that tends to be the ones that have more paint and more difference between the plating and the paintwork. So if you try to go for that, that UFC style where it's just two-tone, no paint, a lack of stones, it's very hard to convey what that championship represents or what, um, or what the belt is used for. What did, what did you think of the latest – I probably shouldn't ask you this question, but I don't care. I told John before you got on the air, I'm kind of crabby today. So <laughs> there's a lot of I don't give a fuck running through my veins right now. But what do you think of the WWE belt that they revealed as a designer? What did you think on a scale of one to 10? The design up close was a seven. When I saw it on TV at first, it was like a four. Because it, it, they, they went for like the 3D CNC effect where you get kind of like the big gold belt to get the floral across. Yeah. There was, there was nothing to offset it. There was no paint behind it. So like they had these lions. They had a crown. Nobody on TV could see that. It just yep. looked like all one blob of, of gold. I agree. I was like, you know, I love because when I see a belt, I love for it to feel traditional. You know, it's like in the 50s, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, even in boxing, the belts. I've worn belt buckles that are were bigger than some of the belt championship belts that guys have worn. Right. And then they eventually get more and more. I think as television kind of got more important, the belts became more visual. But like the big gold belt to me is the iconic one. The shape, the design, the size. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's appropriate. But to your point, Dan, the lack of background and dimension in that belt, it's just one big gold blur. Mm. And there's no detail to it. I I, right. I agree, man. I think it's just the, the brand has become so important. That WWE logo is more important than any other aspect. Yeah, but think about what you just said. Think about what you just said. What's more important, the brand or the belt? If people are fighting for the belt, why is the brand more important? I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm saying that no, is probably what the mentality. No, it's is. just it's just a it's just a nuanced look at that that comment, but it's very accurate. You're right, yeah. and I agree with you, John. I agree with you, Dan. You do some incredible work, man. And I know Conrad Thompson, who runs ad free shows, has a lot of affinity for your work as well. Where can people find out more about your work and maybe even commissioning belts? Well, my website is beltsbydan.com, but I am Belts by Dan across all social media platforms. I'm not a hard person to uh, get a hold of. I may be ordering some belts, Dan. I've got an idea. I'm sitting here talking right. to you. And I, I see a belt for me and my wife. I see a belt for my son and my uh, 
daughter-in-law and our grandson and I see a belt for my daughter. It's kind of like the Bischoff Championship family. We can can do something, definitely. All right, man. We thank you so much for hopping on Strictly Business with us, Dan. We really appreciate you. Best of luck with you, and we hope to see some more of your designs coming up soon. And we hope to see uh, the rest of you joining us every single week here on Strictly Business. Of course, if you want to join us on Strictly Business, all you got to do is get on board with us here on the Advertise with Eric Flow very simple guys you go to advertisewithericcom and you can get your product or your business out in front of thousands and thousands of viewers and listeners every single week here on strictly business we'll support you you support us it's a mutually beneficial relationship eric this has been a great episode thank you again for dan for joining us anything else you want to add beltsbydan.com see you guys it's good stuff this has been strictly business we'll see you next week John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? (laughs) You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.